Welcome to the Bucket Problem, episode 20 or 23, 53. I am your host, Ace Ambender. We are, as always, presented by Homefield Apparel and PointsBet. We're a proud member of the Blue Wire Pod- Podcast Network, and we are a Meet at Midfield production. Today, we've got three co-hosts and a special guest, Ben Mathis Lilly of Slate and uh, author of The Hot Seat, is joining us to talk about The Hot Seat and also Michigan football. Um Alex, Dan, and Connor are all here on the pod. We are going to hit the ground running because uh, Connor has a, a quick hard out because uh, I believe he's, uh, you know, once again in an undisclosed location and, you know, has business to get to. So, uh, Connor, what's your big boot this week? <laughs> well, first of all, uh, what's up, Ben? It's uh, it's good to talk to you. You did not redact my name and acknowledgments of your book as I requested, but um, <laughs> that's okay. It's all right. We can we can work with that. Um, but I am okay. I just want to say I am really super ex- excited. I haven't had a chance to read this book yet, but I am psyched for it uh, for lots of reasons that you guys are going to dive into later. And it's really awesome. This is the first time I've talked to you uh, in voice chat, despite. Uh, a lot of really dramatic, overwrought Twitter chatting during the 2020 Michigan football season. So um, good to see you, man. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks, Connor. I, it is exciting to um, to join uh, this salon of intellectual titans uh, that, I've spent so, <laughs> that I've spent so much time with uh, as a listener. Uh, it's, it's an honor. Uh, and um, I guess I'm also excited for Connor to uh, go elk hunting afterward, which is what I assume he is doing up there. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I'm doing. You might be saying that El- elk I'm is code. Some yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm chasing some prey. Let's just put it that way. Uh, I leave it at that. But uh, so I'm going to be my big mood very quickly, which is um, I, I want to apologize to everyone first of all. In the past, I've participated in some very demeaning and inaccurate caricatures of both Michigan State University, the institution, and their football program. I have used phrases like "little brother." Uh, Cow College, that was particularly unkind. Um, I have at times alleged that East Lansing is not a world-class college town, which it very much is. And today I'd like to, (laughs) I'd like to extend an olive branch and just say, you really have to hand it to Michigan State. They're doing everything right. They're on top of NIL. Um, They're at the forefront of recruiting players off of other teams' rosters, which is what really coaches should have been doing all along. I'm surprised it took this long for them to figure that out. Uh, but you know, uh, they've got a good thing going. They won 11 games last year. You might've heard that they beat Michigan. I'd kind of forgotten that, but I mean, credit where it's due. Um, and you know, things are on the up and up over there and they're currently out recruiting Michigan. And really, I just can't see anything going wrong here because as a long time, Michigan's Michigan Wolverines fan over the last 20 years, anytime there, there's a glimmer of hope, uh, with a new coach in college football in the state of Michigan, Things only get better from there in a very linear fashion. So um, really, I think that it's time for us all to doff the cat to Michigan State and say that they might win a national championship this year. But at the latest, they will be crowned national champions in January of 2024. And they deserve it. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, I've got no nothing to add there. 100%. <laughs> that big mood definitely reflects... Um something that Ben covered in his book, which was the relative psychologies of Michigan and Michigan state at an institutional level. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's a plug for that. Yes. And, uh, we're also, I, I'm definitely not, um, you know, threatening everyone on the podcast behind the scenes to say nice things about Michigan state. 
because of the events of the last couple of years, both on this podcast and uh, on the field to play in games between Michigan and Michigan State. I, I definitely not uh, said I will commit um, felonious acts against my co-hosts uh, if we do anything but say that Michigan State is going to be extremely good and beat Michigan this year. Once again, all hail Mel Tucker um, and Tuckcoin uh, coming soon uh, to a crypto wallet near you. Um, you I handed to cutting edge what's cool and like and hip and hot right now you know getting in august 22 i mean like this guy's like on the bleeding edge of of what's good and and definitely not about to crash so i wouldn't say that's indicative of any way in, in any way of like you know his his uh his tenure going forward i mean um that's I mean, what it is because because both, both bitcoin both Bitcoin, crypto, and uh, Mel Tucker are are all going through the roof, and I don't see them coming down anytime soon. To the moon, baby. Yeah. To the moon. They're all going to the moon. And I just want to say before I sign off, uh, the Red Cedar is one of the most underrated rivers in the Midwest and truly earns the title of the mighty Red Cedar. You should check out its beautiful banks one of these days. All right. I'll, uh, on that note, I'll see you guys later. Take Thanks for joining us, Connor. All right. Yeah, uh, we should mention this is a... Uh, this is a gathering of five people who have been in a group chat f- with each other for the majority of the pandemic. It is now a gathering of four people. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, this is uh, this is my first time talking to Ben in person, I think. Uh, Alex has gone to a football game with him. Uh, Dan, have you also met Ben? No. Okay, so... Uh, yeah, this is this is what it sounds like when people who have been in a group chat on Twitter get together and actually talk to each other <laughs> sort of in real life. You can um, tell that the chemistry is just all right. We just hit the ground running. Um, it's just like it's 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 as if we've spent our whole lives together talking about football. I think you could tell. We definitely we really don't need do. those like three to four minutes in between messages to come up with our jokes. Like they're <laughs> all just right off the cuff. You know, it's it's uh it's pretty amazing uh, what we can do both in person and uh, in a group chat. Yeah, we really do talk like pretty much every day. And I'm happy to say that Ben transitioned from internet friend to real life friend because I've met him in person one time. Um, so yeah, I've also seen you and Dan in in person as well and Connor. So I might, I might be the only one that can say that. Yeah, I think you're yeah, the only Alex one who is... actually has like met everybody in the chat. I might Alex... have actually put together the soup to the soup group. <laughs> yeah, Alex has Alex has uh, collected all the pieces of Exodia, the Forbidden One, um, and uh, which is meeting all of the the members of this chat. Um, no, yeah, I mean, look, as as much as people love hearing about like our, you know, the the intricacies of our Twitter group chat that dates back <laughs> a couple of years. Um, I'm sure that's that's why people come to this podcast. I mean, everyone comes to a point in their life where, you know, the guys that you've been like bullshitting around with in a group chat for for three years, and you say we should start a podcast. Um, and then you know you have a friend that makes T-shirts, and then they sponsor that podcast, and it goes on a lot longer than really it has any business doing. Um, it's, it's suddenly there's a book, <laughs> and, and then there's uh, a book about it, and you've got a friend that's 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 a, that's an author, and he writes a book about you. Um, and that's how it goes. And everyone's had that experience. It's universal. Um, and then these people that have become, you know, like better friends than you've ever had in your life that you've never met in person. Uh, it's, it's definitely normal and healthy and and good for your brain. We've lived a very normal last few years as, uh, people will be able to read about in the hot seat. Um, (laughs) I am holding an advanced reading copy in my hands and, uh, I've opened to page 13 
and it reads, Thick Stauskas had seen enough. And that is my favorite sentence that has ever been written in a book. Like <laughs> it's it's so perfect. And I think that's uh, the breakout sentence of the book so far. I've heard that from a few people. That's uh, a real highlight. Yeah, people love that. People, I'm sure that's a wide audience is uh, talking about <laughs> an internet personality of three thousand. Dude, 3, I, I am not that... joking when I say that my girlfriend, who has never met Dan and uh, has only heard me talk about him has started saying Thick Stauskas had seen enough. It's just like any situation where it's all at all applicable. She will, she will say that now because I got so enamored by that quote that uh, I have uh, spread this disease to other people that I live with. And uh, it's great. Uh, let's uh, the, before we turn this into a, a two hour podcast, let us continue the big boots. Uh, Dan, uh, I like yours. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, this has been such a nice off season. Uh, so like, you know, the, the Genesis of our Disagree, group chat was, <laughs> but continue. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I've forgotten a lot about <laughs> things. I forgot. I forget a lot about a lot of things. My brain's not very good. So if there's bad things that have happened in the off season, um, I've already forgotten about those. Uh, but for the most part, you know, like our, our group chat was really founded um, on the idea of just like, uh, relentlessly complaining about everything, um, specifically yes. not necessarily things that were happening, but things that hypothetically could happen based on tea leaves that we were reading in the off season. Um, and, uh, you know, like that was like just a lot of like, I think we, we spent a lot of time complaining in the off season before 2020 and then way more time complete complaining in the off season leading up to 2021. Um, I think several times, uh, I, um, I threatened uh, bodily harm upon myself uh, after after <laughs> that, reading that something documented <laughs> after reading uh, some kind of uh, like just like a general saying about how we're going to run the ball. Uh, we're going to establish the run and have a, have a run based identity. Um, and it's nice that this season, like, you know, like things actually went well last season and we now, you know, get to just enjoy enjoy an off season of like, wow, yeah, the team should be pretty good. But honestly, like this year's gravy, like they already won last year. Like they got over the hump. Um, this feels a lot like what 20, the 2019 off season would have felt like if Michigan had actually won in 2018, you know, instead of having all of that pressure, um, we have like, just kind of like a, oh, cool. Like this is kind of like a, I feel like we're going into the bonus level of a video game, you know? Um, I'm sure I won't feel that way the second that anyone scores any points on Michigan. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go right back into uh, my goblin era, but um, yeah, no, it's been fun. Um, and I'm, I'm really just looking forward to the season. Um, it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. We've already got you back on a message board. So, uh, you know, God, God helps us all when the season actually starts. <laughs> it's only August. No, oh, yeah, no, posting absolutely. again. <laughs> no, yeah, it's I'm I'm gonna be but let's let's be real with each other. I'll, I'll be back on Twitter eventually. Um, the second that it, the, the second that one funny thing happens to Michigan State this year, I'm not gonna be able to resist it. Um, and it's honestly valiant and brave that I've lasted this long. I I, I can only imagine that the number of tweets that you have thought to tweet and then realized, oh no. <laughs> well, I just I just yelled at people this. on the street now. Like I'll be like. <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah, like that's 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 my like creative outlet now. I'll just like I'll be Chicago is just street. being terrorized by a smoking <laughs> yeah. dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> so I'll just I'll like I'm going I'm going up to people like the barista at Starbucks. Be like, did you hear about Tuck Coin? I had a joke about like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, go away. You 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 had you you you've been in here for three hours just harassing patrons. You haven't bought anything. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, 
it's it, I'm, I'm gonna have to come back eventually all right um uh... Alex, uh, your big mood is uh, two words, but two very powerful words when it's uh, August. Yes, yes. My big mood is two words. Phil Steele, a.k.a. Still Feel. He is um, a pretty iconoclastic figure in the college football universe. Um, His preseason magazine uh, has been a fixture in my life since I was a kid, really. Every summer, you know, I would get the the college football preview magazines, learn about the teams, get get super excited for the season. I've kind of moved away from that in recent years, but a few weeks ago, I got a copy of Phil Steele. And if you've ever read it before, he tries to cram as much information as humanly possible into this magazine. Way too much. Um, He writes in like eight point font, has dozens of abbreviations that he uses often. Um, has a lot of gambling information, which as a kid, I did not realize that people bought the magazines (laughs) because they were using them to research the teams for gambling. Um, But yeah, I've been, I've been reading Phil Steele a little bit. It's getting me excited for the season. Like most of the off season, I just haven't really been paying attention and haven't like gotten to know the teams as much as I normally do. Um, But yeah, I, I love the, you know, mid-August days that are a little bit colder in the morning. Um, you know, my friends are talking more about football, getting excited for the season. It's a great time of year here. And yeah, like Dan said, the vibes are great. Um, hard not to be excited and hard not to think that the team is is going to do pretty well. So yeah, I'm, I'm reading Phil Steele and I'm doing a little bit of gambling research of my own. Reading Phil Steele in, in August is like, and getting excited about football has been such a powerful vibe for like what like 15 20 years now like that's something that that even though everything else changes like when i first did it it was like i walked downtown to the original borders and would read it at the cafe um and then being like okay i ordered it online and it showed up in my mailbox and i never left my house uh because we don't do that anymore but phil steel is a is a nice constant uh in things uh you pretty much have to like learn his language. I speak a I speak a different language. Um, I speak Phil Steele. I can read all of very his highly touted. <laughs> yes, very highly touted. Um, he loves sentence fragments. It really is a feat of like engineering to get so much shit in this book. It's it's yeah. Pretty I mean, incredible. like after doing like a total of five position previews um, that I didn't even end up writing up. Uh, I have so much respect for Phil Steele, uh, King. I mean that's 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 a lot of writing. No one should have to write that much. I mean, it helps when you copy. And we paste, we got seventy five percent of it. But... <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I mean, but that's what I did too, and it was we still got to build up that backlog. <laughs> yeah, right. It's look. I mean, every good writer plagiarizes, and we know this. I mean, Ben, <laughs> can I get a can I get an amen, Ben? <laughs> you there's a question later. Like, how? What? Where did you come up with the idea of the book? And it's just that I stole it from another book. So yeah, that's a, yeah, that's... right. Fantastic. And that's the thing you you can just take you can take other books. No one's really checking. I've done that so many times. I still tweets all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dan's just fessing up on uh, on his return to the podcast. Uh, my big mood. Uh, this this one expanded a lot in the course of uh, us being in the group chat today. Sorry to continue bringing that up, but it it it. it it has a bigger impact on the bucket problem than you probably know or would want to know. Um, 
<laughs> this started with the news that uh, Michigan would be employing a DJ uh, for eight home games. And the reaction was what you'd expect for Michigan fans, I would say, uh, which was uh, some people shrugging their shoulders, uh, the younger fans being kind of excited about it uh, as much as they could be excited about anything these days. And uh, a pretty visceral reaction from, from some of the older fans. Um, And I thought it was just kind of funny because basically you're just taking the guy who plays the music uh, from the press box and putting them on the field. And otherwise, very little changes in terms of the actual uh, stadium experience, uh, except it's cooler. <laughs> yeah, to, to be fair, like, you know, all of the boomers, they, they actually previous to this, they they thought that the the um, all of the music, you know, whether it's Seven, Seven Nation Army, Mo Bamba, that that was actually all being played by a live band. Um, <laughs> and now that the now that the, uh, you know, the, the veil has been taken off right yeah like the magic <laughs> has been taken away they're like i didn't know this was a dj i thought that we i thought that actual you know sheck west was coming to every home game and playing mobamba live just out of sight um and that's it was really incredible them, what to... they were doing with some of these old rock songs <laughs> right exactly yeah like you know like like when they would play we will rock you like they actually had freddie mercury come back from you know from the grave to to, to play at live in michigan stadium and now they just know that it's a dj so you know it's unfortunate my my favorite fact about that DJ, well, my favorite, um, maybe more appropriately to say, my favorite small anecdote about that DJ <laughs> is I think Buck, I think again related to the group chat in which like I just what was his name? Was it DJ Ski Smee? Ski Ski. Well, so I just assumed that like you guys, and by that I mean like anyone younger than me, like knew who that was and were responsible for him because they introduced him so confidently at that Ohio State game, which which I was at, and. And I remember asking somebody in a, in a lower age bracket than me, I was like, well, who is this guy? They're like, I don't know. Like, I thought like you guys, like by meaning like older people, like, like I thought he was like one of your guys. <laughs> nope. And it was just like, that was probably what they were banking on. Though. <laughs> <laughs> it seems possible that no, that he just kind of just like shown up and everyone's just like, all right, I guess someone wants to do this. Like this must appeal to somebody. I mean, that's like anyone who knows like a friend from high school that has become a DJ now. Uh, that is how DJs like get most gigs. Like you, no one asks for DJ. You kind of just you start showing up. Like you work your way up through events. You show up to like bar mitzvahs at first, and then you start showing up to weddings. And eventually, people uh, eventually people pay you for it. Um, and just hanging you know, around a synagogue DJ's with yeah, a exactly. set of turntables. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's, I, that's I, a look, great man. visual. Thank you. <laughs> And you're just waiting. Oh God, that yeah, definitely that, that not got getting me good. the cops called on. That you. got me good. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed oh. that. Um, yeah, so I, I don't want to stay on this DJ thing for too long, but we yeah, this, we're going to end that riff before before Dan gets in. <laughs> this somehow oh. got into uh, like a conversation this morning about how like we were mostly blaming this on boomers, but then we were kind of talking about how like if you actually look at like the peak of Michigan football when like boomers were going to games it's back at the time when like I've watched like way too many tapes of old Michigan games and by tapes I mean Wolverine historian videos on YouTube um, and there is and I've also heard this from friends who were in the band uh, an extremely notable difference between the band of the last say 20-30 years and the band prior to that which is the band now is like all about like musicality and sounding good in a recording studio or whatever, or in practice when 
there aren't 110,000 pe- screaming people around them in a bowl that opens up to the sky. Um, but um, they have a lot of woodwinds and they're not that loud. And um, they have really changed that compared to what they used to do, which is could just go, uh, let's blow the brass instruments really fucking loud. And that is awesome. That's what that's what marching band should be is a shit ton of brass and really loud. So if you go back and watch videos, I posted a, a 1987 homecoming video of uh, the band playing um, the uh, Can't Turn You Loose, the Blues Brothers song uh, before the game. It's homecoming. Crowd's pretty lit. And uh, the I mean, Ben said that he laughed out loud when the brass came in because it's just it's absurd when like it's like blowing out the TV mics. And that is just not what you hear anymore so our our new theory is that it's actually uh gen x um gen x is on pack watch uh they're getting soft and uh they ruined our beautiful band so uh that's my big mood this week yeah, yeah and, our- and and it's not it's it, like when the when the, i played trumpet in the in the marching band in, in high school and like when that the the trumpet section came in in this blues brothers clip I could tell it was like when you're playing so irresponsibly loud that you feel like like pieces of your body like might be coming out into the instrument. (laughs) And it was just like everyone doing that for the duration of the song, which I really respect, especially because like they had to play the second half after that. Um, And I just can't I can't imagine like how much suffering their uh, their like their mouths went through uh, to, to like to continue playing at that level of volume for another two hours, another hour and a half legitimately concerned for the uh embouchures of all of those people and uh like seven people understood what i just said but there we go um actually no this is a michigan podcast way more people do what i just said yeah, uh, that sounded like nerd shit <laughs> it, it uh, was it definitely was uh ben uh i didn't ask you to necessarily do a big mood i did ask you since we have covered these over the last few weeks um What's kind of what's your formative game and your your formative player? And this will help us kind of place you in the, you know, timeline of Michigan fandom. Yeah. So I, I think my formative player is, is Desmond Howard. And that's that's for the obvious reasons. But I was thinking about it a little more, trying to, like, say something more interesting that, like, he scored a bunch and it was like he was great against Ohio State. <laughs> and that was awesome. But like, that's the main reason I'm not. It's trying a to, totally acceptable. Answer. Yeah. Like, I'm not trying to pretend like I'm actually more sophisticated than that. That is the reason. But I was trying to think about, like, like what it meant for him to be my my first favorite player. And I and and one thing is like I think that the most exciting it 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 goes to show at least that I think I'm just curious for other opinions like that just the best exciting most exciting play in football and like fundamentally the reason I, I think people like football is just like when a guy with the ball like runs through all the other guys like sacks are cool um, long passes are cool like you you get to know the game and you get to like get excited about other moments in the game obviously it's cool when you pick up like a third and one or fourth and one but like at that basic level of like when you're a kid like deciding like do I care about this thing that's happening or not like the coolest thing is when a guy has the ball and he breaks into the open field and like that's like that's basically why I'm still watching football because that moment is awesome. So I feel like that was, that was like what Desmond Howard spoke, uh, spoke to, uh, in my, you know, when I was nine years old watching the 1991 season. And then the other part of it was that, um, that season, if you go back and look at 91 had like two, like pretty devastating losses. Uh, there was the, uh, 51, 31 to Florida state. It's like a famous 
game ace to people of like ace's age will at least know what i'm t- kind of talking about right is that right ace yeah yeah so like the they, florida state came in they had the you know like the florida state swag or whatever and they won by 20 points in the big house and like i think the game was not even that close like really like i think michigan scored right at the end um and it was it was the week after that the big notre dame win where, where howard makes the like the famous catch uh and then they play, play very very well the rest of the season make it to the rose bowl lose again pretty soundly in a kind of like a big surprise, uh, at least to me. Michigan losing in the Rose Bowl? <laughs> big <laughs> well, surprise. Again, exactly. I'm a, nine years old. It's my first season. But like to me, like Michigan losing at all. It was like a, it was like a huge letdown. And like I, it, the, I can remember, I was remembering this when I was looking at the like the box scores and stuff today that like the way I processed, way I processed that was as like I felt um, like personally like I had let, you know, like I had personally been made like exposed as being a weaker person than I thought I was. And it was like, see, and, and it's specifically that seeing that Desmond Howard could not win every game um, was just like something that was like, just totally emotionally devastating to me. Like, I just felt as if like he had been, um, you know, like, it's like watching, you know, like watching a superhero lose their powers. And, and, and I get into this a little bit in the, in the book of like, like this identity that I thought they had, I had as like, the fan of like the best and strongest football team. Like it had the air out of it, taken out of it, like really powerfully twice that year. And, and if we're being like, I mean, if we're like quantifying this, um, most of my, I guess at this point, like most of my Michigan fandom has been like about experiencing that emotion instead of like the actual feeling of like dominance and strength and excitement or what, or whatever that, that, that like is originally supposed to hook you. Um, so I thought that was funny. And then for my, uh, for my, my formative game, I, I decided to be creative uh, and I really, my formative game is just like uh, an amalgam uh, of, of like every time Michigan beat Illinois or Indiana, like 41 to three or six or something in the early to mid nineties, because like, that's when I, when I like think of the experience I want from Michigan football, it's not like an exciting rivalry back and forth win it's like that like soothing feeling of like the fourth first quarter not being over and you're they're already ahead 14 to nothing. Um, and it's like, it's, you know, fall and it's the air is getting cold and all, you know, all that stuff too. But it's just like, that is what I really got addicted to was like the, the, the feeling of like just being ahead and not having to worry too much about the rest of the game. And of course, as with the, you know, as I was just talking about, um, that expectation has, has more frequently than not, not been met over the subsequent, like 25 years or so. Uh, but that's like, I think that's like the, the, the kind of routine that got me hooked. It, it, that feeling has at least returned a little bit in the Harbaugh, uh, era, the, the rich rod and Hoke uh, age was not great for, uh, soothing Michigan wins. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, the Harbaugh era really is the golden age of uh, beating Indiana 43 to two um, and just and then also losing. But like there's really no excitement for most of it. You know, it's like we're either beating the crap out of a bad team or losing pretty handily to a good one. And a lot of people would say that that's superior to, to having an actually exciting team um, because, you know, we don't have to actually worry about any of that stuff. Um, as for your Northwestern plays in a lot of close games and I do not want to be a Northwestern fan. (laughs) Yeah. Right. That seems no good. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, the, 
the the thing I was going to say about you, about your first uh, your first experience there, um, you know, we've all had that the the first time we we saw Michigan lose a game that we really felt you know in our soul that they should win, and then you know having that that um, that idea of you know Michigan being like the mightiest and the best team kind of taken out of us, and there's two ways you can go from there, and it's either um, you know being normal and accepting that sometimes your team loses. Or uh, just becoming incredibly spiteful and combative <laughs> about, you know, your your teams and your team's history and legacy and and everything. And um, yeah, I think I think we all are better off for choosing the second option there. The road less traveled. It's yeah, why we're think, all here. I think my specific reaction. I was thinking about this too. Is um, I when anything bad happens, I feel a compulsion to understand it like completely, like and and know like with a hundred percent certainty every uh you know uh prob you know problematic decision uh missed opportunity um you know poor strategy that made me feel that way and so like i will not rest until i figure figure it out just like by myself in my head uh which is also obviously another very healthy way um to have a relationship with the a sports team is to have to do that anytime they lose a game. No, we're yeah, going to solve this. We're going to figure this out. <laughs> and it's gonna, cra it's crazy it that I'm, it's, this is the year I'm definitely going to figure it out. Um, all my previous hypotheses, those were no good, but this year I'm, um, this I'm, I'm, I'm in my investigative era. Like, absolutely. We're going to figure this out. I remember, like, I remember this is another, uh, like, you know, Ace, when you worked at MGO blog, I, I remember like emailing you guys sometimes when I would like have questions about like why the Jabril peppers, like offensive package didn't work. And I would be like emailing you guys and I would be like, well, these guys, it's their job to write about Michigan football. And like, they, you know, they talk to people, they like try, they figure things out. They do, they watch every second of the game. And it got to the point where like, even you guys were like, I don't know, man, like it just didn't, <laughs> it didn't go well. Like it just sometimes have an idea and it doesn't work. Like what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, and I'm like, okay, okay. All right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I have like taken this um, quest for knowledge a little too far. You know, or or maybe that's you know the key to my success as a. Um, I mean, we were documenting every play, so like, if there was anybody who was equally in a in a quest to to answer those questions, it was. Uh... But I would I would email. I'd be like, but why did he trust Tim Drevno to do it? Why? What went into that psychologically? And you you guys would be like, why would we know that? <laughs> oh yeah, we've we've all been in our um in our pre like really you know having followers on Twitter era uh, sent Ace. Uh, you know, five paragraphs, uh, question about, you know, uh, the 2019, uh, Michigan offense. Uh, I think Ace, if you go back, you will find like, probably you don't, you don't even know that that was me, but it absolutely, um, I, I sent you a long, long message about the 2019 offense. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I love finding these things out. It's great. Uh, all right. We're going to talk about the book, uh, in earnest in, uh, a moment here, but first I'm going to pay some bills because uh, our intro went long. Uh, we are sponsored by Homefield Apparel. You all know this. Uh, we have a new promo code, though. It is meet at midfield. Use that to get 15% off your first order from homefieldapparel.com. Uh, it's Penn State week, so uh, yeah, maybe pocket that for a week. I don't know. but um, uh, Dan, you could buy your brother some stuff, I guess. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, I, I can't pretend I'm going to participate at uh, Penn State's week here, even even for the sake of, uh, um, you know, business. But uh, there are many other shirts at Homefield that are that are perfectly wonderful. 
and uh, you should buy a lot of them. Download the PointsBet app and use the promo code BucketProp to get 100% of your deposit matched up to $1,000 in the form of free bets. To get that bonus, though, you must use the promo code BucketProb. That is Bucket, P-R-O-B, all one word. Please gamble responsibly, set limits, avoid chasing losses, never bet when you can't afford to lose, take breaks when you need it, and use the self-exclusion feature to stop yourself from betting. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, Ben. Uh, now you can tell us how the how the idea for this book came about. You were you were teasing earlier that you stole it. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, there's a there's a great book called uh, Football Against the Enemy, uh, written about European football or, or uh, the rest of the world football soccer. Uh, in the, I think it was written in like the earlier to mid nineties. Um, and it's this author. Uh, Simon. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his last name right. I should probably figure this out. Uh, but it's uh, Simon. It looks like Simon Cooper. Cooper. I don't know. Uh, K U I P E R. If you're if you're uh, searching for it, um, and he just goes around the world and notices that like in different countries they play soccer differently, and the reasons that they play differently, like if they play a you know short short passes versus long passes, emphasis on defense, you know legendary goalies, so forth. Just like all the characteristics of these teams, he kind of realizes have actually something to do with like the characteristics of the play of the countries he's going through, going to, and like their culture and their little political situations. And it's just really fascinating the way he does this uh, and draws this all out. And I was like, I thought like, well, you know, college football is kind of like that. It's probably the only sport uh, like at the time, this book has been gestating for so long in my head that like at the time it was like, my examples were Les Miles um, and LSU and um, Chip Kelly and Oregon. And the fact that LSU kind of like played like they were like, uh, you know, um, uh, trying to prove their individual strength, like mano a mano in a swamp fight every game. <laughs> um, and, and Les Miles would actually eat the grass off the field. You know, like it, it was just like, it was, it was classic in the trenches kind of football. Um, and on the other hand, you had, you had Oregon out there and they were all funded by Nike and they were wearing these cool like gadget sensors during practice and he was making up these plays that you'd never seen before and it wasn't as much about the physical game but the misdirection and also so forth and so forth so i thought like that's kind of cool like there's not that many other things in sports or in american culture at all where you know it's really different depending on where you are um and 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 Michigan is like obviously like one of the places where we have this like legacy of of having to to run the ball and and be physical and and that's like what that chapter that uh, you alluded to earlier about about Dan going crazy the beginning of the season was, was just like how bad an idea it seemed like to pound the rock uh, going into the 2021 season, mm -hmm. which as for the record, I agree with his take on that. Uh, so so I thought like I'm, you know, would like to write about all, you know, the kind of different, um, you know, 10 different uh, college football programs and, and why the, the the kind of the action on the field actually like reflects like the culture of the place off the field and and through the um, you know, process of actually convincing someone to let me do it and having three children, uh, it became clear that I could not travel to uh, a different city every week for what, three, four five months. Um, well, my wife took care of three kids by herself and maintained a full-time job and wrote books of her own. So that idea kind of like went out the window and, and it was narrowed down to like doing a, a lot about Michigan because because uh, Jim Harbaugh is an interesting person. They have a, a lot of alumni who are interested in it. And it was the thing that I already knew the most about. Uh, and I also could go in, in the book. I, I go to LSU. I do go to Baton Rouge um, and compare, kind of compare and contrast Michigan with, with uh, their program. 
and also go to see Willie Taggart at Florida Atlantic University, which is where he ended up after getting fired kind of controversially from Florida State. So that lets me get into Florida football a little too. So there is a little bit of like the original um, idea of like a geographical comparison, uh, but then a lot of it is, is about Michigan and its culture and, and, and how it got that way, basically. Yeah. So quick question. Um, that sounds a lot different than the book I read for this podcast, uh, which was about the Ebola virus. Um, is that a, is that a different thing? I'm assuming I read the wrong book. <laughs> I think it's, um, it's the hot seat is also a name of some pornography, uh, which I think is kind of like obvious if you think about it. Um, and, uh, Jeffrey Immelt, the former, um, CEO of, uh, General Electric, um, is, uh, wrote a, wrote a memoir called the hot seat and Mel Gibson is in a, in a new movie called, uh, the hot seat, like, a like a direct to video, uh, thriller, which uh, is so, based on this book. <laughs> hey, look, you know, I, it, casting we, Mel Gibson was a bold choice, ben, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, I do support you there. <laughs> look, I mean, when Mel Gibson came to me with the offer of, you know, of with this, the $750,000 that he was going to give me for that, I said, absolutely. I'm willing to let all my reservations about your previous <laughs> comments, uh, your personal behavior. Obviously I'm willing to let those go in exchange for the kind of big money that's coming in. Uh, when I, uh, for the uh, rights to the title, of course. Yeah. Look, Mel, Mel uh, Gibson and Jim Harbaugh, both uh, outspoken in their religious <laughs> oh, beliefs. No. <laughs> Let's, uh, uh-uh. I'm going to cut it off right there. We're not, we're no, not I'm, done. I'm, done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Don't worry. I'm done. Uh, <laughs> ben, um, Ben's no, got I was, a sound book. <laughs> I, was, I was making a joke about The Hot Zone, uh, a book that everyone read in middle school about the Ebola virus. Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, Dan with the middle school literature jokes. That's... Uh, yeah, I mean, that is the last time I read a book besides <laughs> this one, of course. Then, <laughs> uh, so I mean, you mentioned that obviously the uh, the scope of your project had to get uh, cut down pretty considerably because we are uh, still in a pandemic. Uh, but um, I don't I'd like in terms of, uh, you know, silver linings, I feel like getting stuck with Michigan during the 2021 season is a, is a pretty significant one. Yeah, the like the original idea, I guess, like it was to try to do it in the in what turned out to be the 2019 season, which was just like a kind of just like huge kind of like it, if you could capture that season in a sound, it would be like, <laughs> um, and and it didn't like you know, <laughs> my wife keeps telling me like you can't mention how many people did not want to publish this book, but I'm going to mention it like just that no one wanted to publish that version of the book. So we like, we, we revised the proposal to be more about Harbaugh, to be more about coaches uh, and, and we're fortunately able to get it. And then the pandemic happened. And so I was like, well, we're not doing it this year either. Uh, and so we were fortunately able to like get it happening in this, this 2021 season. Um, and, and obviously it, it worked out well for, from a narrative perspective, although as you guys obviously remember, like there was a point there, like in the middle of the Penn state game where it just seemed like we were, really headed toward like another one of those Mm -hmm. like kind of half successful, half disappointing slogs, um, which John U. Bacon, uh, author of of some some other previous Michigan books, had warned me was the worst kind of season to write about. He said you want it to be really good or really bad. He said really bad is actually fine, like because like we were talking really about bad is amazing for book sales. I, yeah, I helped out with that Bacon book. Yeah, well, right, you're right. Okay, right. I remember. That's that. why Michigan fans love books so much. That's like Ohio State fans never read a book, okay? Because it's it's never bad. Michigan fans, we've read tons of books. 
Um, so yeah, well, so hopefully like the really good, um, the really good. And, and as, as, as you get, I'm not, don't expect people to actually finish the book in the amount of time that, that, that you, they give you before it comes out. But like, as you'll see, I actually just, um, pretend Georgia game didn't happen. Uh, that's fantastic. Um, like the editor, <laughs> the editor was, Damn, me, me too. <laughs> the, the editor of the book who's not a Michigan fan. It was like, do you want to write a little more about that? And I was like, no, I don't, I don't. So <laughs> That's and and when you're writing a book, it's kind of like up to you. So so I didn't. I actually read the whole book in one weekend. I guess it was a draft version of the book, and this was some months ago. But I, I thought it was a real page turner. It was interesting how you focus the lens on these coaches and their personalities. I I think the coach O section was was pretty great as a contrast to Harbaugh, as well as you know. Louisiana's identity as a place and that how that, you know, extrapolates to football. Um, and yeah, I think I think Michigan fans will really enjoy um, focusing on predictions that were wrong by members of this group chat. Um, <laughs> I liked how the Washington game was just a narrative of people complaining throughout the game about how this couldn't win or how it was unsatisfying and um yeah, the, I, it's a very online book is what I'm trying to say with that. Uh, yeah, let me, I should jump in and say that like uh, for the people who haven't already uh, like heard what this book is about, what I ended up doing was uh, like the idea of, of, of local identity shaping how college football teams play uh, as was, you know, as, as kind of people kind of realize subconsciously probably um, it always ends up going through the coach. And so like when another way of, of describing this book is that I was trying to figure out why I and so many other people like you guys go obsessive about college football, let's say. And, uh, and, and I think the answer has to do with the way that these coaches kind of become like emblems or symbols for like entire regions of the country and entire universities and people's entire identities. And so what I did was the, the actual plot of the book is, is it's about me as this person who is already obsessed uh, with Jim Harbaugh and uh, has like a sometimes emotionally unhealthy relationship to the Michigan football team, watching the 2021 season and simultaneously kind of researching and trying to figure out like why otherwise, uh, you know, normal and uh, functional people are, are drawn into this, uh, this kind of sport and, and, and this kind of relationship with people like Harbaugh and Ogeron and Willie Taggart. And so I follow those coaches through, through the season. Well, Jim Harbaugh has been, uh, I don't want to say helping with book promotion, but he has definitely given you reason to write about him this offseason. Uh, so what has been the experience of being kind of like immersing yourself in like Jim Harbaugh and kind of trying to get into Jim Harbaugh's psyche as much as any person can actually do that? And then, you know, having, let's just say the events of this offseason unfold and you're a person in a position to write about these things and you've got this whole book here and now this stuff happens. <laughs> yeah. So it's been interesting because I think that there's, there's like, you'll hear people say like people who are, who are like very knowledgeable about college football um, and, and they will say things like Jim Harbaugh is unpredictable or like Jim Harbaugh. Uh, no one knows what's going on inside his head. And I understand why they say that because like from an outside perspective, um, you certainly don't expect a person or a college football coach in particular to act in the way he does or to say the things he does. So I can see why, you know, it, he has this reputation as a person who's always going to surprise you. But like, that's one thing I actually kind of like, just by having like 
as you said, immersed myself in his psyche for so long, is that like everything kind of traces back to something else. So like Mm -hmm. he, the thing that actually makes him unusual to me is that he like has these ideas in his head and he just does not modulate them. Like he, (laughs) once he's settled on something as like a goal or a value, uh, he is going to pursue that, uh, basically for the rest of his life, I guess, you know, like, and so, you know, the, the, to, you know, to be serious for a second, like the co- comments this off season were, were about abortion. He spoke at a, a right to life fundraiser, uh, you know, and that I think took some people back, but like he had appeared on a national review podcast, uh, with someone I think he actually knows through university, uh, a national review writer. That's a conservative uh, publication for those who are not in that immersed in that world as well. Um, and said something kind of similar. And that that happened, I don't, I don't know, three, four, five years ago, something. And just because of the forum that it was, and obviously at the time uh, in American, you know, in American society. It was, it was during like, the pandemic. So it got kind of obfuscated by that because he tied the, the oh, uh, yes, abortion right. rights issue in with the pandemic, if I remember. Sure. Right. Which is right. Another kind of like wild thing to say. Yes. Um, and, <laughs> you know, and so, so like, you know, I actually wasn't surprised when he went and did this like I and and that's true of like a lot of this stuff like the the other like big event of the offseason in a like a less um socially fraught uh way was him re- interviewing with the with the Vikings um and 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 the way he kind of ended up explaining that to people was like well I want to win the Super Bowl because that's the best thing you can do as a coach and like like yes like on, on a level of social functioning like the timing with which he did that, like it did seem very weird. He had just been so enthusiastic about how, you know, how bright he thought the future of the Michigan program was. But like, I actually just, just by coincidence had been reading an interview with him in like a small publication that was covering him when he was the coach of the university of San Diego. Um, And it was like from 2006 and he was, I don't know, first or second year coach, not a big time guy then as people on this podcast and listening probably remember he had been like passed up for the university of Michigan quarterbacking job. He like was not a, not a person that like, you know, is not, people were not clamoring for his opinions. And he just told this writer, like, my goal is to eventually win a Super Bowl as the head coach of a team in the NFL. And so like, once you see those lines, you can see like the, the reason he does the things he does. And so that's, that's was kind of my reaction when all this stuff came out. Like it, it actually was less surprising to me. So I had to kind of go back and put myself into the mindset of a, of a normal person who <laughs> was not, um, you know, who had not spent the last few years doing this and to, to, to kind of like go back and to explain like, well, no, this is how he, how he got this way. And, and, you know, I think the answer like with this, with the, social issues with the abortion and some of the other stuff that's related to his Catholicism um, actually ties in with the football as well. And I, and, and, and although I don't get in, in as much into the specific right to life issue in the book, like you can see the way um, growing up as Jack Harbaugh's son in, in these university towns really uh, seems to have imbued him with the sense that like a coach has to be involved with the rest of society because he's training young men and, and now women and, and training young leaders. And so it's like, actually, he believes it's incumbent upon him to have, uh, you know, this kind of engagement with the rest of the world. Other coaches don't feel that way. Other coaches <laughs> may feel that way, but, 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 you know, modulate their public statements so as not to alienate certain interest groups. And, and that's the thing he just doesn't do. And I don't think we'll ever do. Um, and, and that is to me the, truly the kind of interest, like unanswerable, mysterious question about him, because as is pointed out in the quote, this quote I put in, in slate, you know, Jack Harbaugh, John Harbaugh, 
also coaches also very, you know, intense in certain ways, not quite the same as him. So like, it's where, where did this come from? I, I don't, I still don't ultimately know, but like, I, this is the way he is and it's, it's the way he's going to be. Yeah. There are very much like explanations for like individual explanations for everything, but Jim Harbaugh, like as a whole is uh, you certainly cannot draw back to any one source. Uh, I also want to note that uh, you, you mentioned uh, Jim Harbaugh being passed over for the Michigan quarterbacks job. Uh, that was heading into 2002. Does anybody know who Michigan hired instead? That so would be, of course, Bowling Green head coach, head man, Scott Loeffler, right? Is that? That is indeed the man. <laughs> quite a, quite a divergent, uh, the, some divergent paths they took from there. Uh, I'll say, I'll say that. Um, it's kind of miraculous that we can still say Bowling Green head coach, uh, Scott Loeffler. At the moment. Yeah, there but, actually uh, is a part. This is like right in the Ohio State. As I was driving up to, um, uh, Ann Arbor from my in-laws in Ohio, I, I stopped in Bowling Green. Like apparently they had just played a game, uh, three and eight Bowling Green team playing in just miserable weather, uh, like on a Friday afternoon. Um, and it was, uh, certainly a stark contrast with the situation that, that Jim found him in the next day. So I guess there's some sort of life lesson, you know, kind of stick to it. And uh, lesson in there somewhere. Was, uh, was that the game where, uh, Loeffler got, uh, ejected uh, for multiple unsportsmanlike calls and became, became the first coach to have that happen. It, it could have been, as I say in the book, like you could not have paid me $50,000 to be um, uh, watching that particular game in that, in that particular weather. So I, I remain ignorant. I, I can't blame you. And I guess I, I can't blame Scott if that was also his reasoning. <laughs> uh, what else I think, like, what do you want us kind of to I don't know if necessarily take away from this, uh, you know, but um, that, you know, I, obviously we're not necessarily going to walk away from this with a complete understanding of like how Jim Harbaugh's mind works or anything, but um, you know, what, you know, as you're looking at this and trying to figure out what makes Michigan fans, Michigan fans, and the, like what things stand out to you. So I, I, you know, I, I tried to, I tried to go into it, not, wanting to like there's a way of writing um books <laughs> like this stories where like you have a big epiphany toward the end and you kind of like resolve all your issues and the characters resolve all their issues <laughs> and i i really did not want to do that like i wanted to write something that like when when you were talking about the online aspect before like i thought one thing i could actually bring to this uh project that would make it different than the book i was ripping off uh is um like talking about like just like how um volatile uh your mental one that one's mental state gets uh in being a sports fan in this particular year in this era like where you have this access to this technology that allows you to to like immerse yourself in questions as deeply as you want like you know like why did they call the wildcat package for Jabril preppers in 2016 even after it started averaging 2.1 yards per carry or whatever so like i wanted to write about that phenomenon a little bit and i and i didn't want the book to end on like me like thinking like I kind of like figured everything out because like that's the whole like um nature of the experience of being a fan is that like it is such an emotional it is such an emotional roller coaster that said like I do think like I came to have a little more it, I, this this gets into some um uh some like uh I guess philosophical or, or theological territory that you know maybe you guys are are familiar with um I kind of ended up being more like at peace with my own emotional volatility, if that makes sense. Like I have <laughs> definitely not figured out how to like react 
in a you know like a reasonable way to Michigan. Oh, no, I like it, but I kind of figured out that like that I, I'm never going to, and that like that's actually fine. That like one thing that was really helpful to me, um, that like really helped it click was there's this book by a professor at I think Washington University in St. Louis. Uh, it's got his name is Noah Cullen. It's called it's called We Average Unbeautiful Watchers. It's which is uh, taken from a David Foster Wallace piece about being a fan of Roger Federer's, and so one thing that kind of clicked it to made it click for me is like when he just is talking about like what literature is or like what stories are, or just like any kind of like great art is basically like looking at a story and trying to figure out how the people in the story, like what they're like, whether they're good fortune or bad fortune, like what it says it, what it says about you and your life and relating like another story to your life. And this is like something that may sound up, maybe obvious to you guys or people listening, but like it had not been obvious to me that it's just like no human goes through life without doing this in some way, without like having some sort of like, whether it's, you know, religious or literary or, you know, a movie or like whatever, like everyone, even people who are not sports fans, like has these stories in their head and they're like, geez, how is my story like this one? Or, you know, how is my story like that one? You know, how am I like this person? Or how, how are my friends or my parents or my, you know, like, how is my life like this life? And so when I realized that, like, I was never going to be able to stop doing this, like that actually was like a moment, uh, I think when I, when I like, I stopped worrying about it so much. So like, basically, I guess the answer is just like, I would tell people, you know, as the, as this, as this professor said, when I talked to him, he's like, by the way, like if you're an alcoholic because you are too, you are getting too wrapped up in sports, as one of the people he writes about in his book was, um, you know, he's like, don't do that. <laughs> so to be clear, like if this is causing a problem in your personal relationships or your professional life, uh, you know, I, I think that there's there's um, steps you should maybe take to to change the way you're behaving. But like if you are, you know, getting really mad for two days about the way that Michigan call plays, you know, I, you know, I don't think that you're, there's any way getting, I don't think there's any getting out of that. Like that's the human condition. I guess that's kind of the lesson of it. And, 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 and obviously that this book, as you were mentioning, it, it ends with like a very um, kind of uplifting uh, and happy scene on, you know, on the field at Ohio state or that Ohio state game. And, and like, I guess what I'm, you know, and I kind of came to conclude was like, that is really meaningful. Like you don't have to feel bad or embarrassed about like how much you care about uh, how much you care about like who wins a football game. Like it's not, it's not just strangers playing a game. Like it is, it is so many more things to so many more people. Um, and I think that's like, uh, that's kind of like the actual epiphany I came to when I was, when I was doing the book. Yeah. There was something really powerful about, um, the field rush at the end of the Ohio state game and just seeing that, uh, unleashing of positive emotion, uh, from so many people who are all so happy about, the outcome of that game and it made it uh it certainly made me feel less silly for tearing up on the couch because <laughs> that's what yeah. i was doing <laughs> i mean and that's what like i think that i, I talked about this to you guys a little bit but like what it really reminded me of it i was like we, we our seats were way up high so we weren't like we didn't actually make it down there but like when I, I was just we stayed and we watched um we watched what was happening and like the the it didn't remind me of other field rushes like you usually like typically you know like there's a really explosive play at the end of the game or, you know, something crazy exciting happens and everyone just, and you know, there's an explosion almost and, and people go on the field. Like this was like, it really reminded me of like a graduation is over or a wedding is over. It was like people slapping each other on the back and hugging and, and that like, you know, really under, or kind of like underlined the way that like, this was just like a thing that a lot of people have gone through together. And like, I think it's perfectly fine to like, feel like, Oh, like, you know, the team overcame something and this is, 
kind of like whether or not you're even being like totally conscious about it, like this feels like the time that I overcame something. And look here, it's me with my friend who I've known for 30 years, which is what I was, you know, that's who I was with when we were tearing up, up in the, up in the row 80 or whatever. Like this kind of feels like the end of a long journey, just like the journey that we've gone through. And I was like, Oh yeah. Like that's, that's what's, what's making these people so emotional. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's fine. And it's like, it's good. Like, like it's basically like if you had this decision, like if you had some sort of eternal sunshine machine that could eliminate both your feelings after you know, Michigan loses to Oregon in 2007 and the feelings after this Ohio State game. Like, I don't think that like that many people would actually want to be the person that resulted once you once you push that button, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, getting to those uh, extremes can kind of teach us a lot about ourselves, I think. And uh, especially when you experience that as a uh, as a collective. Uh, before we ask you where and when we can get the book, uh, we wanted to do an exercise that uh, I think I suggested mostly as a joke, and then we're just going with it, um, <laughs> which is uh, we we each picked our, our uh, scariest online fan base, uh, which ties into uh, Ben's book, I think, for obvious reasons, and that um, I, I think, uh, you know, the fan bases taking on their own personalities is very much a thing. Uh, I, I want to save Ben's answer for last because it's good. Uh, Dan, uh, you still with us? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Sorry. I, you guys were, you guys were vibing. I was like, you know what, <laughs> this is book. This is nerd time. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna uh, barge on this by making another joke. Um, Dan but, was uh, actually lifting weights while we, while we did all that, <laughs> right. that feeling. Yeah, I was talk. lifting weights and I was, I was imagining giving Ace a wedgie. Um, I you know, obviously <laughs> can't do it in person. But uh, absolutely. Yeah, no. Um, so my serious online fan base is um, any uh, non-Texas, so non-University of Texas, um, Texas school. Uh, I spent I spent a summer um, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and um, met a lot, way, honestly, like way more fans of uh, of those teams than I ever would want to or anyone ever should. Um, and they're just all very terrifying. Uh, they all have like uh, the weaponized version of the insecurity that Michigan state has, right? Like Michigan state fans. It's, it's like, it's all about like being Michigan or not being Michigan. Like their identity is defined by their relationship to Michigan and whether they, they see themselves in contrast to that or whether they see themselves as, you know, wanting to attain what Michigan has in stature and, and, uh, or whatever, you know, and even though Michigan State is, is a perfectly, you know, fine university, like itself, it has plenty to be proud of. Like it's, it's the, they're the, a lot of their like fandom online is defined in relation to Michigan. Um, so imagine that, but in a, in a, in a state that cares like 300 times more about football and also like the team literally weaponized. On, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the team that you're fixating on is like 3000 times more annoying. Um, and also those schools actually aren't any good. Uh, Texas is the only decent university in, in, in the state of Texas. Uh, I, that's, that's not true. There's, I guess this Rice is, is rice erasure. Yeah. yeah, Rice, yeah, right. is, rice cool. is good. Whatever. But the, like, if you're banned, no, we're actually erasing Rice's football program here, which is fine. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, if you're Baylor, if you're Texas tech, if you're Texas, a m those are made up schools they don't have real majors um and i'm not going to do any research into that but ba- baylor in particular we do not have to respect at all <laughs> no absolutely absolutely not um and uh those people are completely obsessed with 
if, if you ask them about like just college football in general, the first thing that they'll bring up is like how overrated Texas is. And they're not necessarily wrong, but they are absolutely psychotic about it. Um, and they get, they get so much more red and mad than even the maddest Michigan state fan could ever get. Um, they will swarm your mentions. If you mention them on Twitter, uh, they all believe that like, Somehow, like even like Texas Tech fans believe that like they're the true heir to the, you know, like Texas football throne, despite like never, ever being good once ever. Um, oh, TCU. That's another one that they're, they're the exact same way. Um, and yeah, no, it's it, they're a terrifying fan base and they all have guns, um, every single one of them. And that makes it even more. Uh, yeah, Texas A&M fans have this weird thing where they wear their class rings all the time. It's it's a deeply sick, uh, sick and twisted state that um, that you shouldn't go to. Um, and uh, and and th- those those people in those fan bases are bad um, without exception. I lived a few blocks away from Rice in Houston for a year. And yeah, I think in order to be allowed into one of the big open air bars in Houston, you have to be wearing a dry fit of a Texas university in khaki <laughs> shorts. Um, I would say of the schools that I kind of got to know a little bit about, I would say by far the worst is A&M, which kind of is a transition into my answer, which the scariest online fan base has to be an SEC school. I think A&M, they're definitely getting pretty big for their britches. Like Jimbo is starting to talk a little bit of shit. Um, I, my gut when I, this question was first posed to me was Tennessee. I think about how their fan base effectively vetoed their um, hire of Greg Schiano, led by Clay Travis, who great guy, um, definitely a good representative for their fan base. Uh, and I also think too a little bit about LSU. I know that Ben references the infamous message board tiger droppings <laughs> in the uh, in his book, but that seems like a pretty um, dark vortex of college football fandom uh, tiger droppings from what I've seen of it. So, yeah, I don't know. I think um, really the answer has to be in the SEC just because it, it means more. That's fair. I, I think you guys probably have a good beat on where things get most intense nationally. Uh, I was looking a, a little bit more at the fan bases that I have interacted with a fair amount. And, uh, well, only one of them has, uh, you know, uh, threatened me bodily harm online other than uh james yoder uh that's not parody he can try to sue me fuck him um (laughs) but uh uh i'll go ahead and take michigan state because uh, i mean you guys have both indicated the uh, little brother aspect tends to add a certain edge uh to fandom that can get a little frightening at times and like i said uh threatened me bodily harm um and it also like all the people who do like online content for Michigan state seem to be doing it like for no money in their free time. And, um, you know, I'm sorry to other people who are on this podcast before, but, um, like if you're doing that as like something close to a full-time job, uh, like a certain two, four, seven sports writer, who's definitely a trust fund baby. Um, like that's a wild way to spend your time. (laughs) Like, I would not be doing this if I had a trust fund. Like, I'm just going to tell you all that right now. Um, I wouldn't be doing anything if I had a trust fund. That 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 is also my general attitude towards things. But it's so that that definitely gets me for just like these people who like just seem to not have any sort of respect for anything <laughs> like um, 
just throwing their whole weight behind like a certain like toxic style of fandom. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I haven't enjoyed the experience of that. Um, but uh, Ben, you have my favorite answer. I would add, I'm going to add to, to uh, your answer and to Connor's actual first answer is that the um, two biggest donors, or I think, you know, at least the two most uh, high profile donors to your athletic program, both being in the um, uh, low cost, like mortgage business mm-hmm. is probably also, you know, like, I don't know, it could be taken as a warning sign of like a <laughs> bu- bubble, bubble burst that, that like a bubble might burst at some point, uh, you know, like that's just that, that in addition to like getting into Bitcoin at this, at this juncture. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, my answer, my, this was genuinely my, also my first reflex is that the, uh, the online fan base that scares me the most is Michigan's. Um, and that's because I, I think that, you know, uh, you know, um, relative to, uh, some of the other stuff we talked about, uh, the worst feeling I can have about, uh, college football is not like some other fan, you know, being mad at me about something I said about, about their team. Uh, it's the feeling that like Michigan is that I should be humiliated about, about Michigan or that like I should, that I should despair or that like things have gone irrevocably wrong uh, with like a Michigan coaching regime. And so like, that's actually what I live in fear of is this uh, um, is being kind of like, actually convinced by someone like doom posting about Michigan. Uh, that's like the worst feeling to me is like when like I realized that someone's probably right. And then when they said like, this is a mess, it's not going to work. Like, that like 2013 feeling. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like as we've experienced a couple of times and as we all thought we were experiencing in 2020, like when you just really like when you get to that moment of like, um, you know, like actually like low point honesty, it'd be like, this didn't work. And like I had, and I put so much into Rich Rod or Brady Hoke or whatever, like I, you know, you do end up putting so much of your, like your, your, your happiness or your expectations for happiness into these, into these, uh, you know, to these coaching changes and, and, and these new coaches and, and what your expectations are for the team. And like, and it, it actually is like really hard. It's like actually really hard to like, let that go. Uh, and so that, and, and the way some people react to it as this, um, uh, Alex, uh, uh, references in the book, I, I go through like all the people during the Washington game, which of course Michigan won fairly easily. It like was not a close game, like, but just the astounding number of people who reacted to like everything that was happening in this game that they won by like saying this program is this, this is tra- we're trash. Like Jim Harbaugh's trash. Like this team is going to yeah, go to, to those intent. people are so we're so wrong and <laughs> I, the, you know, that is the one where I put, I did put my own, like I quoted myself uh, at one point, like at like it was a certain like low moment in the first half of that game. Um, I did note that I became one of those people, but like, <laughs> like that there's some, so some people react to it by like disavowing, like there's like these different emotional psychological coping mechanisms you can, you can have. And one of them is just like preemptively saying like, well, I always knew that, that Harbaugh is an idiot or like he's lost his touch or like this, this, you know, there's something terminally wrong with this program. It's toxic, the whole university, like there's ways that you, that some people deal with it. The way I deal with it is by like, desperately hanging on to like the optimism that like finding out these reasons why what something is happening and why like we we keep why they could still be turned around like because i kind of feel like if i can figure it out then they can figure it out and then the players and the coaches could figure out so that's what goes through my mind and so and that's why like the most horrible thing i can see is like someone i respect like making a, a persuasive case that like it's just it's this it's hopeless yeah that's totally fair <laughs> um, uh i Especially as somebody who, 
was kind of on the other side of that at times where I was uh, writing content about Michigan football during uh, 2013, 2014, um, also 2020. Like it was, uh, it was tough to like write for other people and, and, and kind of reinforce those feelings. Cause I felt like I was lying to them if I wasn't um, like, you kind of got to tell people like, this isn't working out. And at the same time, it's like, I, I, I hate this. Like this isn't fun. Like See, that's that's we funny. Do this for I, fun. <laughs> I, I, I always found that easier. And maybe it's because like I only dip in and out of writing about Michigan, but like actually, you know what? I mean, I I, I this is a, a forum where I could probably, you know, say this. Like I writing about our country feels the same way at times. That's like my day yes. job for people who don't know. I write about news and politics and in, in the United States mostly. So I actually find it a little easier when I can just write I, I, like it is to, uh, to go back to like the kind of like uh, psychological or like Buddhist coping mechanisms, uh, like to be able to step outside it and to have to kind of think about it and say, say to other people like this is this is what's happening. Like that actually helps me sometimes like to be able to do that when it's happening you know, when there's something happening in the country that I find personally very upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, like, I, I think sports is, is a little different and like the kind of repetitiveness of it. Right. Yeah, know, it's it, more important. Well, <laughs> it, well, and like for you, like you can, I mean, like you said, like you're, you're writing about politics a lot of the time at Slate um, and writing about Michigan football isn't a seven day a week job. For me, it's a seven day a week job and on being unable to get out of that, I think was part of why, like, like you said, that repetitiveness really like it builds up. And so it wasn't like, cause there are times like, I will say the 2014 season was certainly one of the more fun to cover for me in certain ways, just because there was a lot of stuff happening. And also right. there was finally like change happening. So right. Like, exactly. Going to Dave, the, the press conference where they announced that Dave Brandon had uh, quote unquote resigned was fun. <laughs> um, even though it did not say great things about where Michigan was at a, as a athletic department at that moment. Yeah, I think that's like a that's a good point. Like the, when bad things happen in the United States, um, whatever your definition of bad may be, like that actually makes people more interested in reading about what's happening. Like the this is a pretty well known thing that like Donald Trump was a very like high traffic time for news websites. Whereas the opposite, I think, is true in sports. You could speak to this, but like when a season goes south and like, just, just people don't want to hear about it at all. Like, and so like, yeah, I, I can see that being like the difference is just like, it feels like things that like when, when things bad things happen in the world, it feels like things are happening. And when, a, when a season just goes, goes badly for a, a sports team, it just, it feels like nothing. Especially with the way the seasons would go bad in Rich Rocket and hoax years where they went bad early. And, and when you're looking at multiple months of that, like, at least with these Harbaugh years, like, yes, there were times where it felt like a, a, a slog, but um, other than 2020, they they were like quite competitive through most of the year and then right. just would diff it against Ohio State. Right. So you, you, you didn't have that protracted period where people were just like, oh, this is this is brutal. Um, but uh, we pulled out of that, I think. So that's good. Uh, yeah, I should emphasize. Oh, yeah. It's it's for sure smooth sailing from here. <laughs> I should emphasize to people that most of the book is not like this. Uh, I don't know why I chose your podcast to share this to share like the real downer uh, parts of being a fan or like the the most depressing um, as like times of being a Michigan football fan. But the book is about a season where they they won almost 
every game and even the one they won as i thought to myself at the time like to comfort myself like well this would really make the narrative like even like more satisfying if they were to come back from michigan state to win at ohio state and at the time i thought that was just pure self-delusion absurd but, thought but yeah yeah <laughs> um well you did i mean you said you weren't going for the like typical storybook ending the the hollywood style ending but i, I mean that field rush at that uh, against after ohio state was about as uh uh, like end of a movie scene as a uh, field rush is going to get to, to touch on what we had uh, talked about earlier with that. Like it really yeah. did have a different feel than most field rushes and it was kind of cinematic uh, in a certain way. So, and I will admit I, I'm only about halfway through the book and I'm ex- very much looking forward to getting through <laughs> the rest of it now that I've uh, gotten done uh, with uh, launch week of a website. Um, so, uh, and when people are listening to this, I think they'll be able to read my the conclusion of my uh, Michigan Chicago 1900 uh, rooster sacrifice piece, which uh, I put a lot into. So I would. Oh yeah, I'm excited. I should it. say I'm I'm targeting uh, tomorrow to join the meet at midfield and and oh, fantastic. Uh, com- community and just start just right right just like go right in and start making problems on the on the message board with. Um, my uh, take, which I developed today about Jackson Smith and Jigba um, having just basically gotten fat off of uh, Olave and Wilson and that the Utah game doesn't count because it was basically uh, an exhibition. And like, frankly, this guy's overrated and, and not... <laughs> our, our Ohio State Raiders are going to love this one. And doesn't, right. doesn't, scare, doesn't scare me at all. Yeah. No, yeah. No, we're, we're cool. and, and that's the thing. And also, they don't have that dog in them, even if he was good. <laughs> Right. That's the important part. That's the most important thing about this whole Ohio State team, um, because uh, they, this is at all the team from last year. Then uh, no dog, no dog at all. Um, ben, uh, before we head on out of here, where and when can we get the hot seat? Uh, August thirtieth uh, in person. Anywhere books are sold right now, you can you can do it online. Uh, you can do it at, at your favorite online retailer. You can buy it through your local store. You can buy it from uh, one of the big online retail retailers. It all works. Uh, it all works for me. So I would encourage you to go out uh, and do that as soon as you can. And, uh, you know, everyone has a relative who's into Michigan football. And I think that one thing that's uh, really true is that those people also need to have their own copies that are purchased individually and not just kind of given in a kind of borrowing, handing around way after you finish it. Of course. They need to get, you know, they need to get their own. They need to have their own ownership of it. Uh, I yeah, mean, that's definitely this... not what's happening with my advanced reader copy right now. <laughs> Um, you know, this is a, this is a wonderful time to get your holiday shopping out of the way early, mm-hmm. you know, buy multiple copies, uh, stash a few in a closet. And, uh, all of a sudden you open that closet and you're like, oh, wow, I got Christmas done already. This is fantastic. Yeah. Or like, I mean, Mo- mother's day, father's day, they come around, they come, they sneak up on us every year. Why not have that finished nine months ahead of time? Yeah. Buy right. a whole exactly. stack. You, you never know when you're going to need an emergency hot seat to, to have, hand out as a gift. Yeah. If, if you're listening to this podcast, you are. Uh, it precisely anywhere from, you know, 25 to 27 years old. Um, you live in Chicago, uh, in probably in Lincoln park. You're thinking right now, what do I get my parents for a birthday? And what would, I mean, you know, you've, you've, you've got parents that you call probably once, maybe twice a month, not enough. Um, and what better way to show that you love them than getting them a book about your friend, thick Stauskas from the internet. Um, and yeah, no, absolutely. It, it makes a great stocking stuffer. 
I love that Dan, when uh, deciding how to describe our entire audience, described himself. Um, yeah, I know that's 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 all of our audience. When, um, when Dan looks on, I know I listen to the podcast. He sees Dan looking back at him. It's the whole <laughs> world is a mirror. It's right. It's wonderful. Yeah, all right, absolutely. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Um, everybody, pre-order the hot seat. Uh, I will include a link in the show notes to make that even easier for you to do. Uh, follow at Bucket Problem and at Meet at Midfield on Twitter. Sign up for meetatmidfield.com like Ben will be doing tomorrow. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe to this here free podcast and use the promo code Meet at Midfield for your first order at homefieldapparel.com and the promo code Bucket Prob when you sign up for points bet. Thanks for listening and have a great week.